0: Hi, everyone. No music today, just me. And let me explain why we're doing uh, this today instead of your usual interview uh, and music like we always have. Uh, In the past month or so, there's been a lot of stuff coming up and going on in my life, in Jessica's life, and it's just been a little harder to record podcasts on a regular schedule. But we've been doing it for like a year and a half now, and I'm determined to get out a podcast that is interesting for you and interesting for me and her uh, every week until we just decide to stop this. So uh, just to give you a quick heads up, uh, I know we mentioned this on the previous podcast, but uh, Jessica got married a month ago, so that's really exciting for her. And as anyone who has gone through a wedding experience knows, it's super busy leading up to the event. And after you're done, you just want to relax for a bit and settle into your new life and stuff. So that's what's going on on her end And on my end, uh, exactly a month ago, I had a baby, or actually my wife had a baby. So it's been a month of living with a newborn and dealing with all the stuff you expect with a newborn. She's healthy, beautiful baby girl. So that's fun. That's uh, been kind of in the background of everything else I do, and I I don't want to talk about it just because, I don't know, I feel really weird about telling people about what's going on in my personal life. So... Uh, but there is a baby, and it's interesting, and it's fun, uh, and that's, that's what's going on. That's why it's been hard to get into a studio to do any of this. But again, I wanted to get something out, so that's why I'm just going to talk into a microphone for now. And if you guys like doing the Q&A thing uh, just with me, we'll keep it going again in the future, but I hope we have another recorded podcast with an interview uh, this time next week. But anyway, I asked you on Facebook and my website, Uh, to ask me questions. I don't know what questions you have for me, uh, but I was pleasantly surprised that you submitted some really interesting questions, ones that are really different from the ones I normally get in interviews. So um, I just kind of copied and pasted a whole bunch of them. I haven't really given much thought to any of them. I just saw them and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Copied it. So I haven't thought about these, but let me read you the questions and then uh, we'll see how long this goes. I don't want to, I won't drag it on too long. So the first question is from Sergey: How can we help the victims of religion? I'm talking about people like closeted gay teenagers and young adults living in a strict Christian or Muslim household, or people who can't get birth control or important medical treatment, or atheists being imprisoned in other countries, and so on. So that's a great question. How can we help the victims of religion? Um Here's here's my take on this. I'm very hesitant to, like, get involved in other, pe- other people's lives. So uh, if someone's saying, you know, I live in a Christian household, but I need to get birth control, I'm not about to tell you you should go buy it for them. That's kind of your decision. If you know this person, if you want to get involved, I don't know, you do whatever it is you want to do. But here's what I would say all of us could do if we want to help them in a more general sense, which is if you are one of those people, a closeted gay teenager, for example, you're presumably you're worried about your parents finding out that you're gay. You might go online. Maybe your community doesn't want to know and you don't want to tell them anything about it. So you're really reluctant to come out. The question I would ask is where would these people go to get help? You know, way back when I might have said you might want to go to the library and find a book about this stuff because if you can't talk about, you know, what you're going through with anyone in your life, maybe there's a library book that could help you. But where would people go now? Now they might go online. Now they might search for websites that talk about these things. What is it like to be gay? What happens if, you know, I live in a Christian family or a Muslim family and I don't believe what my parents believe? And for me, I've wanted to be the place where they come to. Uh, If they have a question about that stuff, I would hope they find my website or I hope they find the YouTube channel or this podcast Um, because, you know, there is this whole community of people, a loose community of people who have either been through those situations or who can give you good advice for it. And so I guess what I would say is what can we do to help the quote unquote victims of religion be the person that they find? If they're searching for this information, if they want to know, you know, what happens if I don't believe what the book of Genesis says, maybe they'll go to Google, maybe they'll go to YouTube and type this stuff in. Are they going to find whatever it is you're creating? Because if you're in, the, in a position where you can talk about this stuff, please do it. Don't worry about the quality. Don't worry about whether your prose is perfect or, you know, you, you don't get good grades in English. Who cares? Tell us your experience. Talk about it in your own voice. And just make sure your title speaks to whatever it is you're talking about or you tag it with the right words, because I promise you, people will find it. And anyone I've talked to who does this sort of social media stuff, they have always told me that if they put themselves out there, they always get feedback. I mean, it doesn't matter how many followers you think you have. People figure it out. People find you in some way. And so I hope you could put yourself out there for the people who need to find you. That's really helpful. And that's kind of the motivation that's kept me going doing this for, you know, whatever, almost a decade that I've been doing this. Now, when it gets a little more serious, you know, atheists being imprisoned or something, that's a little harder. For that, we need to contact elected officials. We need to make a fuss about people like, you know, the the blogger Raif Badawi, uh, the Bangladeshi bloggers who are putting their lives at risk by talking about their atheism. We need to get people with in positions of power who are able to do something. And that means reaching out to people who you elect, people who have, you know, a a way to talk to people who can actually get something done. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but I don't know of anything else we can do more simple than that. Talking to people who could make things happen and making sure that this stuff doesn't just fade from the spotlight because, you know, everyone knows when there's a current event, it goes away quickly. And that's the worst thing when there's a real issue that we need to talk about. We need to keep these things in the spotlight so people keep paying attention. Okay, next question is from Halam. What do you think are the differences, if any, between atheists who were once religious and those who have never been religious? So that's a really interesting question. As someone who was religious, uh, but I wasn't Christian, I have found, at least in my experience, that people who grew up in a religion and left it are way more passionate about, like, defeating it in whatever way possible. Because they know how bad it can be in some cases, so they want to expose everything about it. I'm seeing it right now uh, with smaller Christian religions. Uh, Just... I'm seeing it with Mormons right now. The, the people who are most vocal about the changes in the Mormon church and how they're treating, you know, gay people and the children of gay parents, the people who are speaking out the most about it are ex-Mormons who know the church and understand how bad this is and what that sort of, um, uh, what the authority figures are doing and how it destroys a family. If you're as someone personally who is not a Mormon, I don't know exactly how bad it is. I've talked to Mormons. I, I've talked. I know plenty of ex Mormons, but everything I'm getting is secondhand, you know. So I don't know how much it devastates a family when someone leaves the faith, or you're a former Jehovah's Witness um, and you're excommunicated, uh, disfellowshipped. I, I hear about it, but I haven't experienced it. So if you come from a religious background, I think you are better able to speak about what it really is like in the faith. You know, if you're a former fundamentalist Christian, you know what that's like. If you're like a Duggar family, an evangelical Christian who believes in the quiverful lifestyle, the most articulate people to speak about how damaging that is are the ones who escaped it. So I, I love the passion that comes from people who left the faith because maybe they have the most stake in it. Now, that's not to say that if you didn't grow up in it, you can't be passionate about it. I mean, one of the really interesting things I'm seeing lately is there is this rise in, like, second-generation atheists, people who had parents and grandparents and whatever, who did just—they were raised without religion. Religion was just never a thing growing up. And I I personally, I can't understand what that might have been like, but it's a fascinating concept because— You have to wonder, you know, they might be atheists now, they're second generation atheists, they're atheists now, but do they really have to think that much about it? Do they have to go through the same struggles that people who were religious had to go through? And how does that play out? How mad can you be at religion when it didn't really affect you in any personal way? Um, So again, I, I do know some second generation atheists who are very vocal about it, but I know a lot more people who grew up in a religious household who left it, and they're the ones who are really speaking out about how bad it is. And if you talk about Islam, for example, the most powerful voices against Islam right now are the current moderate Muslims or the ex-Muslims who grew up in the faith, and they could speak to what it says firsthand. Uh, And they can temper down the people who, you know, me uh, who just hear Islam and think the worst things, they can calm those people down too and say, look, Islam isn't all bad, but here's what I went through or here is what I know happens within these communities and here's where it is bad and here's where we need your help. So uh, I hope that answers that question. Next question is from Christopher. Given the recent plagiarism outbreak, uh, while we can all come up with our own spin on things, are there any original atheism-related thoughts left to have? So what he's talking about, yeah, we've seen writers uh, like uh, Avicenna on on Freethought blogs. We saw C.J. Worleman plagiarized on several of his articles about religion, Jacqueline Glenn on YouTube. A lot of people are literally copy-pasting things that other people have written and passing it off as their own. Totally not okay. Please don't do that. Uh, but the question is, you know, it's atheism. What original thing are you going to say? And in a way, that kind of makes sense, because once you say God doesn't exist, <laughs> what more is there to say? But no, here, here's the difference. Uh, two things about this. Circumstances matter. So, for example, there are current events going on now that weren't going on. Uh, Whenever other things were written. Right now, we're seeing this Republican primary with all these candidates, many of whom are super, super religious. And we need people to respond to the things that they're saying. And that's always going to be new because, you know, based on what's going on in the world, you're going to have a new answer to to whatever's going on. And, And it requires a unique answer. So, yeah, you're always going to have an opportunity to say something that, you know, Christopher Hitchens never said. But also, and here's the more important thing, it it doesn't matter if it's been said in the past. Putting it in your own words, uh, talking about atheism or calling out faith-based nonsense from your own perspective, it's, it's so important to do because the mediums always change. There are people in high school and college right now who probably never read the god delusion they don't know who Madeleine murray o'hare is they didn't grow up with that form of coming to atheism they don't know who those people are but if they're asking about atheism if they're trying to learn about it where are they going to go they're going to go to youtube and the type of people who talk on youtube and speak about atheism on youtube those are original those things haven't happened before And even saying what you think has already been said, but doing it in your own way, in your own words, in your own style, you may connect with people who never would have, you know, searched out Richard Dawkins on their own. So you don't have to plagiarize for any of this. Put it in your own words. Talk about what it means to you. Give us your own opinions. It doesn't matter if you think you're just saying something that's been said a million times. No one has ever said it the way you can say it. So just do that, and you know if you're copy-pasting from somebody else. I mean, it's easy to avoid. You just got to, you know, learn from other people, but then put it in your own little machine and put it out the way that you think would appeal to you. And I promise you, people are going to pay attention to that. Okay, uh, and by the way, Christians know that really well because this is not an atheism-specific problem. Christians have been doing this for a long time. The fundamental message of Christianity about, you know, salvation through Jesus— that hasn't changed for a long time either. But they're really good. Christians are really good at figuring out what the new technologies are and then adapting their message for it. You know, as soon as like YouTube came out, you knew there were Christians who were really good on YouTube who were going to spread the message through that. If Vine is a thing, if whatever podcasting is a thing, they'll find a way to get the message out there. And it's not the same message because these things don't always translate medium to medium. You got to find a new way to do it even though it's the same kind of message you want to give across. So they're really good at it, so we better be really good at it, too. Uh, Okay, next question is from David, and he has a lot of questions, so let me go one by one. How has the pressure to generate content for social media, blogs, etc. changed the way that you interact with people and respond to issues? Well, I don't think I've changed the way I interact with anybody, but it is true there is a pressure to generate content on a regular basis, but I mean, I think I've gotten a little better at that in terms of I see stories, I hear about stories that I want to respond to, and I think I can turn it around really fast and offer a quick response. Um, and I know how to do that really quickly. Because if you wait on a story, by the time you get around to commenting on it, everyone else has moved on. I want to be the first person you hear in terms of a response on a certain issue. As I'm as I'm speaking this right now, we're, we're still up in the air about the Planned Parenthood shooting in Colorado Springs. We don't know why the person did it. We don't know what his religious background was. But, you know, as soon as we figure out what that is, I hope I'm one of the first people who can get back to you with a with the answer to how should we think about this issue. Uh, whatever that is, I want to be there for you. So anyway, that's what the pressure does to me. It, it means I'm always thinking about this stuff. I'm always, quote unquote, on. Um, and sometimes that's really hard because stuff is always going on. Um, but That's kind of the fun. That's what I signed up to do. Uh, For example, says David, has it made you less careful about what you say and share? Has the constant stream of negative religious stories made you feel less friendly? Um, Yeah, I, I am actually very careful about what I say and share. I want to make sure I can defend everything I'm saying. I'm well aware that anything I say can probably be used against me. That's actually why I don't do podcasts like this usually where it really is unscripted because... I want to make sure that I can look over what I'm going to say before I put it out for the world to see. Um, but I think I've also gotten a little better about you know not saying things that I'm going to come to regret down the road. Uh, and if I do, I hope you know I can apologize for it. Has the constant stream of negative religious stories made you less friendly? In a way, yes. I mean, I think when I started doing all this in maybe, what, 2006, at least online, I was much more of an interfaith activist. I want to work with people and I, I'm willing to assume that the people who are crazy in the media they're on the fringes you know most people are good religious people and yet when you see what religion does day in and day out you realize the fringe isn't really a fringe that's kind of the mainstream um and it's a rare sight to see the religious people who are the progressives and that these are the people i can work with I still like interfaith activism. I still am happy to join forces with, you know, progressive Christians who want to work for gay rights and social justice. I'm all for that. Um, But yeah, I I don't think I'm as gung-ho about it because I think fundamentally a lot of these religious beliefs are not good. Faith is not a virtue. And so, yeah, uh, I'm probably less friendly than I was when I started all this. But I hope, again, I try really hard not to make broad brush assumptions. I, I try really hard not to say, this is what Christians think. Because that, Christians don't think the same way. So I try to focus. These are conservative Christians. These are fundamentalist Christians. This is what Ken Ham is saying. Um, because I want to make sure that I'm not, you know, throwing the good religious people under the bus as well. Because I know there are a lot of them out there. Uh, David says, when your stories have a political component, do you have trouble separating your progressive political attitudes from those of the skeptic movement? When is it appropriate to mix non-religion and politics? I find that my, you know, my attitudes on politics are probably overlapping with most of people who are listening to this right now. You know, I am a liberal on most issues. There, Very rarely do I separate uh, from, you know, liberal tendencies, Um, But yeah, when I do, I I have no problem saying that. I just, usually the things where I separate on aren't the things I write about. So it's not really an issue. And then here's an interesting question also from David. Tell us your story. How did you go from math teacher to full-time atheist blogger? And how much does that pay? Um, Seriously, he adds, how does that work? How does someone like you get paid for writing things on the internet? A place where everything is free and everyone writes things. That's a, it's a good question. I'm surprised people don't ask me that more often because I don't know if... That's kind of one of those things that I think is really neat. And I don't know, no one really asks about that. But here's the deal I taught at a high school for seven years. Uh, I taught math, I taught a whole variety of math classes. It's an awesome, awesome school. It's in an affluent community, so you don't even have to deal with a lot of the shit that a lot of teachers have to deal with. And I taught wonderful kids, you know, and it's a great job. I've never walked away from a job I love that much. Um, but when it came down to it a couple, uh, well, a year and a half ago or so, uh, I realized that uh, I was always doing this uh, blogging as a hobby while I was teaching. And then, you know, uh, several years ago, I moved over to Pathios that, that does pay people by ad revenue. So any of you who have been to Patheos, the website, you have uh, seen this. If you click on FriendlyAtheist.com, you will see banner ads. You will see ads on the page. And I know they're really, really annoying, but it's kind of the the way we stay in business. Um, And I know it's super annoying if you're on your phone trying to see my website because there are these nasty redirects that I promise you Patheos had nothing to do with, but it it affects a lot of websites. But this is the trade-off. You know, the content is free, but if you want writers to keep producing it, we got to get paid somehow. And banner ads is kind of the thing that people have done. Now, ad blockers are going to change that. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? But this is what I do. Patheos pays me based on the revenue we, we take in from banner ads. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I started getting much better at what I do as a blogger. I, I know how to write things that people will read, and I know how to be, hopefully, interesting about it and, and cover a variety of things so I'm not just, you know, tapping the same audience time and time again. And so a year and a half ago, uh, it got to the point especially my last year of teaching, where every break I got from teaching, where I just had time to myself, I was focusing on the website. And when I got home at night, I was working on the website and I was going crazy. I mean, I was staying up to like 1 or 2 a.m. and then having to wake up at like 5.30 again. And, you know, that will wear you down after a while because I write everything Uh, pretty much at night. And then it just kind of went up during the day. And I was going crazy. And the thing is, I love teaching, and I really loved blogging, and I really love writing about these issues. And I wanted to know if there was a way to do it. And then we realized that, you know what, if I can really focus full time on the blog, um, and kind of put my eggs in a few different baskets, whether it's through Patreon, where people have been so generous about what they're giving, and try different things like YouTube and this podcast, I think I could make more than I was making teaching. And I think the opportunities would be better too, where, you know, I know exactly what I'm going to make with teaching. I totally don't know what I'm going to make when I'm blogging, but I think the opportunity is actually better. Um, And I thought it was a risk worth taking because, you know, it was just me and my wife. I didn't have a kid yet. And I figure. Uh, If it doesn't work out, my certificate to teach is still good for a few more years. And I'm pretty sure, you know, people are going to hire a brown math teacher. That's the reality of it. I could get a job. And even if I wasn't teaching, I think I know enough stuff about how the online world works that I could get a job doing something like that for a different company. And I'd be happy doing that, too. So it seemed like it made sense to take that risk. And, you know, a year and a half later, it's worked out well. Um... Like I don't have regrets about not being in the classroom. I do miss that energy you get working with kids, but I actually am still the head coach of our speech team. Uh, the Competitive forensics, if any of you did that before, they they allowed me to stay on to do that. And so I get to work with wonderful kids and I see them on a regular basis and so I'm so excited that I get to kind of have the best of both worlds right now. So I've very little to complain about on that end. Um, but to answer David's question, how does that work? How do we get paid for this stuff? Depends on what you're doing. Uh, pathios 's model is to do banner ads, but we've also seen uh, subscriptions. And by the way, I say banner ads; it's it's a lots of different types of ads. But it's also subscriptions. Whether some people might have that model, where you know, I think uh, Bart Ehrman, who wrote these uh, books about the New Testament and Jesus. He has a model on his website where you pay him and that's the only way you get the content. So that's an interesting model. I don't know if it's the one I personally like, but that's a different way of doing it. Um, But the cool part is, I don't know, I just kind of run my own thing and I have the flexibility to try out new things. If you're a YouTuber, it's a little harder because YouTube doesn't pay very well. Um, If you're someone like uh, TJ, the Amazing Atheist, and you have like 750,000-some subscribers. Yeah, you'll probably be okay with the the videos you make. You're going to get enough people watching it that the money you get from YouTube will sustain you as a full-time job. And some YouTubers are able to do that and they produce enough content to make that work. I don't really make much revenue off of YouTube. I haven't figured out a way to make this podcast uh make money, but it's a really cool project. And so it's like, well, let's just do what I did for the blog. I did it for free for like, I don't know, 4 or 5 years as a hobby. And then slowly I started making money for it. I figured, let me try that with this podcast. I mean, I enjoy doing it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. And then maybe down the road, if it's still interesting, you know, down the line and I get better at working this kind of method. um, Yeah, maybe someone will want to pay to be a sponsor and uh, keep this going. So I don't know. That's, That's where I'm at right now. It's a really cool job. I don't know very many people who kind of do this social media thing for a living, but every time I talk to someone who has made that leap, and there are a few of them in the atheist world, it, it's just really freeing and and cool and totally risky because, I don't know, Pathias could go out of business any second and then I'd have to figure out what the hell I'm doing after that. So anyway, that's where that's coming from. Um, And by the way, that also means I'm like horrible to go on vacation with because uh, I don't know, I'm always having to do this. I haven't taken a day off in a really, really long time. And I honestly can't remember the last time nothing went up on the website. It's probably been years since nothing has gone up on there. Um, Am I careful about the things I say? Uh, Did I get that question? I don't know. There is a question. Am I careful about what I say? I am. I I really don't share much personal stuff on any of my social media. I also on my Facebook page, I don't post much atheist stuff. Not on my personal uh, page because I don't know. I don't want to have those conversations with my family. When I'm with them, I'll talk about family stuff. And when I'm doing the atheist stuff, I'll talk to the atheist people. Those are two separate worlds as much as I could make them. Uh, okay, next questions from Eli. Do you have any tips for young atheists trying to start some sort of secular school club where young atheists and agnostics can meet and discuss the problems and challenges of growing up secular? The best advice is if you feel safe doing it, uh, go ahead and start it. Uh, talk, go to secularstudents.org. Uh, For the Secular Student Alliance, because they will help you get all the stuff you need to start a club. There are legal organizations that will help you if the administration is an obstacle in your way. But the biggest thing is uh, if you want to start a club, make sure you have one or two people who could start it with you and make sure you know exactly what the rules are at your school for starting an after school club. Every school does it differently, every school has different paperwork you have to fill out. But legally speaking, if there is like a drama club at your school, they have to allow you to meet to talk about atheism, just like they have to allow you to meet if you're a Bible club or a Gay Straight Alliance. Um, so take advantage of that because, especially high school, that's such a good age to talk about these issues. And I would hope that you're not just being like rabid anti-theists if you're meeting. I hope that your goal in starting a club, if you're in high school, even if you're in college, is to moderate and hold these discussions for students to have um, and show that atheists are really awesome people, whether it's by holding volu- uh, doing volunteer activities, holding charity drives, working with the religious groups at your school to hold debates or have conversations or do something together. That's such a cool thing to be able to do, and it's totally legal. So I hope you can start it. Um, Kyler asks, have you ever been discriminated against due to your beliefs? Uh, I've been lucky. I, at least if I have been discriminated against, I, I don't know about it. Uh, when I was working in a public school for seven years, no one ever complained about the atheism stuff. And I think, I mean, part of that is because I teach math, so it's not really going to come up ever. And the other thing is, I think I taught math pretty well. So who, who was going to complain? I mean, if they called my boss, what were they going to say? Uh, as soon as they say, as soon as my boss asks, you know, what problem do you have with the way he's teaching math and they say nothing, then the boss is like, all right, then this conversation is over. So, no, no one ever held it against me. And But that said, I also didn't talk about it in the classroom. I was there to do a job. Um, I wasn't going to bring up atheism and I'm not trying to push that on any of my students If any of them asked me about it, because I am public about it, so yeah, they would find my YouTube channel, they would find the blog, um, I would pretty much shut them down, like, we're not talking about this here, so go do your homework, (laughs) you're just, you're not really interested in talking about atheism, you just want me to not talk about math for a little while, so whatever, I see right through you, uh, so, I don't know, it was never an issue for me, but I also tried really hard not to make it an issue, uh, Taylor asks, what do you think are the positives of religion, if there are any, and what are the negatives of atheism? The biggest positive to religion is that it just gives you hope. Man, if you are down, if you are depressed, you have this whole world that says, don't worry about it. God has got your back and we will take care of you. And if you lose your job, everyone at this church, will we will bring you food. We'll take care of your family. We will work through our connections to find you a job. That's so amazing that they have that. I've said this before, but if you are part of a church community, that's why it's so hard to get people to leave church. You could easily convince them God doesn't exist. But that is not the reason they stay in church to hear what the pastor has to say. No, they're staying in church because it provides them with so much more than whatever the Bible says. Their friends are there. Their social circles are there. They can volunteer. They can feel good about their lives when they go to a church event. So why would they want to leave that? I'm sure, I don't know the numbers on this, but I have a hunch that there are so many people out there who don't believe in God, but go to church every week, at least on the the bigger holidays and stuff, because they miss that atmosphere, because they love the people in the church. And here you have a bunch of atheists saying, hey, you don't believe in God, so stop going. Why would they listen to you? Because you have nothing to offer them in that place. Yeah, we're right. We have reality on our side. But whatever, when you're sick and you face the loss of a loved one, you know, no God's not going to help you. And this is the challenge, I think, for atheists. This is the hard thing that we have to deal with, which is that we have a message of honesty, but it's not necessarily a message of hope. So, you know, how how do we deal... Let me go back for a second. Why do you think people go to church because... They need that in their lives. They want hope. They want help uh, with things that they struggle with. And we don't necessarily have a way to help them with it. Yeah, there are some atheist communities who handle it well. But essentially, if you're an atheist, you're saying, all right, I don't need church. I don't need to put my faith in uh, definitely a higher power, but uh, even other people to an extent. We're very independent. And that's kind of our downfall, too, because what what do we have to offer people? in terms of, oh, your your son or daughter died. Uh, we talked about this with uh, Bart Campolo in a previous podcast, but this is what he was so good at, which is that when people lost a loved one, especially not just a parent, but a spouse or a son or daughter, he could talk to them in a way that would make sense even from a secular perspective. Most of us can't do that. And when you go through the hardest things you will ever have to go through in life churches are really well-equipped to deal with it. Now, I I do think they're offering false hope, but they're offering hope, and and we don't get to do that. We have to figure out a way to help people cross that bridge. We have not figured out a way to do that well. I've seen some individual attempts that are really good. I constantly talk about a group called Grief Beyond Belief that helps people who have dealt with death. We talk about secular counselors and things like that. But by and large, we are not really good at making people feel better about themselves. Uh, We think it's too touchy-feely. We think it's just this spirituality stuff. But whatever, that's why it's so hard to get people to uh, leave their churches, because I think religion handles that stuff really well. And it gives them a sense of purpose. You feel really proud to be part of those churches and doing the work that some of those churches do. And if you're an atheist, again, you got to figure this stuff out all on your own. If you want to do volunteer work, you got to find a group. If you want to give to charity, you have to find those charities on your own. Whereas if you go to church, they've taken care of all of that for you. All you got to do is like show up or give money, and everything is taken care of uh, for better or for worse. Uh, Jay asks How could we nuns organize better to leverage our increasing numbers into political and social action? That is so hard to do, and it's probably the most important thing. This is the frustrating thing, because when it comes to, for example, the Republicans, they have a Christian base, and they know if they get the right issues, if we're talking about certain issues, the Christian base will come out and vote for them all the time. What happens to Democrats, though? Because when you talk about, like, yeah, women's rights and gay rights, you would think atheists would be on board with this. But the problem is Democrats never reach out to atheists. Democrats are going after the same religious base as the Republicans are. And why is that? Because we don't vote as a bloc. We are independent thinkers to our own detriment because we don't vote as a block, They're not going to say, hey, you're, you're an atheist, so go vote for Hillary. No, they're not going to do that because a bunch of atheists are like, no, I'm not going to vote for her. Screw her. I I might vote for Bernie Sanders. But if he doesn't get the nomination, I'm just going to sit this one home. Or I'm going to vote for the third-party candidate who has no realistic shot of winning. And so this is a downside. I don't think we can ever say, hey, atheists, go vote for this candidate. You could do that with Christians. uh, You could do that with a lot of religious groups because so many of them are sheep. They will follow what a leader tells them. I don't think that's going to work with atheists. However... I think that if you rally around certain issues, you know, women's rights is going to be a big one in the upcoming election. What, you know, what happens to the makeup of the Supreme Court? What happens with uh, giving you know special groups uh, exemptions from, from offering their employees access to contraception? Things like that. That's an issue I think most atheists would get behind. And if you have two candidates, one who's against it, one who's for it, I think you have a better chance of saying, look, I don't care what name is supporting this legislation, but this is a cause you care about. This is a candidate who supports church-state separation and LGBT rights and uh, gun safety measures and things like that. And these are things a lot of atheists are for, so go vote for the candidate who supports those causes. Uh, we have to get, I mean, no wonder politicians don't pay attention to us because we don't deliver like churches deliver. And unless we get our people voting and until we can get, a, and that means getting young people registered to vote. That means making sure we're not sitting at home on election day. uh, Why would they pay attention to us? So that's what we have to do. Uh, We'll see if that happens. Brian asks, what kind of things do you do to produce so many stories per day with quotes and context, relevant links, emails, follow-up, whatever. Sure, it would be easier to write a few paragraphs of thoughts, but your efforts are appreciated. Uh, So that's very kind. How do I produce so much content? For the website, uh, there is a method to it that I've honed over the course of like uh, almost a decade of doing this. I follow so many websites in my RSS feed. It's got to be well over a 1,000 or 2,000 websites that I follow for information. Um, So I'm always you know, getting that information from what other people have said. At the same time, I also have direct contacts with a lot of different places so that if something happens, I know who I can talk to to figure out what the story is. Uh, Probably the biggest change from when I started doing this is that readers are so awesome about sending me stories that might be happening in their hometown but probably needs a bigger spotlight. So, you know, my city council is doing this prayer and it's illegal. Can you do anything about it? Yeah, I totally can because I can link to it. I could send it along to lawyers who could do something about it. Um, so that helps because there, it's I never have writer's block because people are always sending in stories that they they think deserve a uh, more attention. So that definitely helps making sure it can get out per day. Also, the blog is kind of my bread and butter. So I will post you know a ton of different tons of different things on the website. Whereas for YouTube and for this podcast. Uh, I am pretty content right now with I can manage once a week for both of those things and not much more than that because I focus so much on the website. Um, so that's kind of that, that helps a lot. Um, and by the way, I also think it's valuable to not just regurgitate what the headline says. Anyone can do that. Uh, I want to offer an opinion on it. I want to offer a way to think about the issue. And I think my site does that really well and how my writers contribute to that as well. Uh, they, they put out really interesting things, and I'm, I'm really proud of the stuff we produce. Chris asks, will you be speaking at the upcoming Reason Rally? I'm also curious how you think it should be different from the first. Um, will I be speaking there? They haven't asked me, so I'm assuming that's a no. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what they have planned, but I- I'm excited to hear who will be speaking there. They've only announced a couple of speakers. I'm also curious how you think it should be different from the first. I think more than anything, uh, the first one was really exciting because it hadn't been done at that level before. I I know they did it like a decade earlier, but uh, I think only 10% of the people were at that one. This one had like 20,000 plus people at the last Reason Rally in 2012. So I hope this time we're done with exciting. This is something we're going to do. That'll be awesome. And for some people who have never been around that many atheists, it's going to be amazing. But for the rest of us and, and for them, I think the biggest thing we could do is make sure everyone leaves with a sense of action and a sense of purpose. Like, yeah, you're here, but when you go home, this is what you have to do. Whether it's getting involved in local politics, that would probably be the biggest thing. Everyone gets super uh, energized about running for their school boards and city councils and, and, you know, maybe even a state office or something. If they went back from the Reason Rally so energized that they, seriously consider doing any of those things, that would be such a big deal. That would be amazing. Um, Chicago Dyke asks, uh, says, I'm an old, old school blogger type, like from the 90s. I can't get around the sound and video thing. I like text. Why do you think the right way to spread a message is via some kind of podcast or video? Uh, Here's why. Because some people, like me, Love to read, and I appreciate blogs. I mean, I'm a blog guy myself. I I like reading them. I like writing stuff for the blog. Videos, I don't like as much. However, what I found, again, this is anecdotal, but when I speak at colleges, almost nobody knows me because they read Friendly Atheist. They all know me because they watch me on YouTube under the Atheist Voice channel. And why is that? Because if you're in high school, you're in college, whatever, and you want to learn about atheism... You don't, they're just not reading stuff. They're going to YouTube and using it as like the Google search engine. So they're looking up atheism and they're stumbling onto my videos. And I realized that that's an audience that I want to reach. And I'm not going to reach them if I stick to my website. So I got to go out where they are And reach them there. And that's what YouTube has been really beneficial for. At the same time, podcasts have exploded too. There are people who spend so much time traveling in their cars or running or, you know, or they have their headphones on and they love hearing content that, that speaks about this stuff. And that's something that I can't give them if I'm just writing stuff because they can't read when they're driving necessarily. um, And they can't watch videos when they're doing any of this stuff, but they can listen And so the podcast is a way to reach out to that audience as well. And again, this is what I mentioned earlier. It's a really awesome opportunity that I have to be flexible and meet people wherever they're at with that same sort of message. So, hey, you know what? If you don't like YouTube, don't watch YouTube because there's plenty of other content on the blog. If you like listening to this stuff, I hope the podcast is beneficial for you. Um, But I think the important thing is, you know what, if you don't like my YouTube channel, don't watch it. I don't care. If you don't like this podcast, turn it off right now. Uh, My goal is not that I don't think anyone listens to everything I put out there. I I hope you do, but I don't think you do. Uh, Very few people anyway would do that. I think most people like one medium or another and they kind of devour everything in it. So my goal is, let me just be there in those different mediums. And as soon as the next one comes out, I hope I can shift there as well. Uh, So that's why I do all these things. All right. Uh, Hawaiian Tater says, Church attendance is down. Nuns, atheists, agnostics are on the rise. Population is trending toward tolerance for LGBT minorities, etc. Uh, understanding of science is improving. Considering all these factors, do you think we will see in our lifetime a country where religious dogma, science denial, racism, homophobia is a thing of the past? Uh, To simplify the question, do you think we will continue heading down the right path as a country, or will these things never change? I I think we're heading in the right direction, but it's not one of those things. We could just sit back and expect it to happen. Um, Maybe it was Evan Wolfson who's done so much work for LGBT rights who said, you know, he hates that saying that the arc, you know, kind of bends toward justice and freedom because that assumes you don't have to do any work to get there. And the only reason we have, you know, legal gay marriage in this country right now is because so many people fought for so long to make that happen. It wasn't going to happen automatically. We're seeing kind of the same thing now on other issues, whether it's, I don't know, marijuana legalization, uh, things like that. People have to fight for this stuff if they actually care about it. So yeah, I do think we're heading down the right path, but it's going to require more people, another generation or two of people speaking out for this stuff. And even when we, uh, I don't think racism's going away anytime soon, but maybe the worst aspects of it could lessen because everyone's kind of aware of it. Um, but we have to keep making people aware of it. So, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, I know because I've seen it online. Some people are just super annoyed by them. It's like, yeah, we get it. It's tough to be a minority. But at the same time, there are people who haven't heard this stuff before, and this is kind of in your face about it. And that's awesome because people are talking about it in a way that we rarely hear. So this stuff isn't just going to happen. We have to keep organizing. We have to keep speaking out about it. And I I hope we can rally people behind these issues because as much as I want to think people are just going to improve when it comes to science and and tolerance, it's not going to happen because there will always be bigots who always draw a crowd. And we have to keep speaking out and and reaching out to that group so that they'll come to our way of thinking on these issues. Uh, There was a great quote, uh, I think by Bertrand Russell or something. What did he say? Like The trouble in the world is that The stupid people are always sure of themselves, and the intelligent people are full of doubt. So you can always brainwash kind of a segment of the population into thinking a certain way, but if you want them to to think critically, uh, that's a lot harder. They're not just going to fall in line with you. Anyway, I hope that made sense. Um, All right, Tinker says, uh, has a criticism Hemant, I love listening to you speak. I like hearing your view on things. Blah blah blah. On your podcast, however, I find that you often talk over your guests when they have more to say, and that kind of goes on for a while. So here's the deal with this: when we record these podcasts, they're in a studio. the the per, The guest for our show is usually not in the studio, so we're talking over the phone. There is a bit of a delay, and so that kind of feeds into it. And if you ever watch like a, a news show, CNN, MSNBC, none of you watch Fox News. But the same thing happens there, too. You see the host talking, and then there's a delay, and then the person talks, and it's kind of awkward. So sometimes it's inadvertent. I think the guest has paused, so I'll jump in, and then like a second later, I realize they're still talking. So that's just a mistake that's kind of unavoidable. I hope when it's an in-person interview, which we've done a few times, that's not happening. At the same time, I also know when we're in the studio, we have a time crunch. Like we're doing a 30-minute to 40-minute podcast, And I have a list of questions I want to get to. So if I feel the guest is rambling or talking or just they're losing my attention sometimes, it's like I want to steer the conversation back to the point or I want to move on to a different issue because there are certain things I want to make sure we hit before our time is up. Uh, So yeah, that does happen. One of the ways to fix that, because believe me, I know it's annoying. One of the ways to fix that is I definitely want to do more in-person interviews Um, And that's a lot harder to do because it's harder for me to travel because, yeah, baby. But when I go to conferences and stuff, it's been really good because I can talk to a bunch of the people who are at conferences and we can get down like five or six podcasts like right in one spot. That's awesome. So we're working on that. We're aware of that. And I want to make sure the conversations are uh, I don't want you to hear me. I want you to hear the guests. They're more important for the podcast, so I don't want me to be talking over them. Um, and by the way, it, something you don't see if you hear the podcast is all the, the gymnastics that Jessica and I are doing in the studio where we're like, what's the next question going to be? Should we cut this person off? Should we let them keep talking? Because we are signaling to each other all the time in the studio. And uh, you know, at some point, we're kind of making the gesture like, all right, one of us needs to say something so we can move on. Uh, it's, believe me, we're cognizant of it, and and believe me, I know it's annoying because I hate it when I listen to people who do that. In some cases, it's inevitable. Okay, Randy asks, why do you post so many articles and videos on marginal preachers and religious people? And I assume Randy's talking about people like, uh, uh, oh my god, I can't forget his Uh, name now, Uh, Pastor Steven Anderson from Arizona, or someone like Pat Robertson, you think, oh, that's not someone who represents most Christians, so why do I spend so much time talking about them? For a couple reasons. One is, they're not as on the fringe as you think they are. Do you know why Pat Robertson is on TV and, like, is has a contract that every time ABC Family has a channel, he's going to be on there. It's because he's super powerful because he has so many followers. This guy is not on the fringe. Someone like Steven Anderson, who, is, who has a relatively small church, okay, you could make that case for it. However... There are a lot of Christians who think the same way he does. And by the way, that also shows when you point out someone like West the people like Westboro Baptist Church and you're like, "Oh, those don't represent mainstream Christianity." It also makes the point that where are they getting their values from? They're getting them from the same holy book that all the other Christians are using. To, to say something hopefully a little nicer, but it's coming from the same source. So the Bible is not necessarily a good book. That's a point you can only make when you point out, look what people are doing with it on the fringes. But I gotta say, most of the people we talk about, they're not on the fringe. I'll give you an example that just happened like this week: three Republican candidates, uh, Mike Huckabee, Bobby Jindal, and uh, Ted Cruz, all spoke at a conference with this little at, run by this little known pastor named Kevin Swanson. Kevin Swanson at that conference said that the Bible calls for the death of gay people. I mean, this is not a secret. We knew about this before that conference happened. People told the candidates, like, why are you going to this conference for a guy who thinks gay people should be executed? The one caveat, uh, Pastor Swanson said is that we don't want to kill them ourselves because they need time to repent, but otherwise, you know, whatever, uh, this guy, you would, a lot of people would say he's on the fringes, and yet he is running a conference that the, perhaps the future president of the United States is coming to. That guy's not on the fringe. Focus on the family with their anti-gay rhetoric. They're not on the fringe. They represent mainstream Christianity, evangelical Christianity. So I don't buy this fact that, you know, I'm certainly not saying every Christian is like these people. But these people aren't representing only, like, four Christians out of all the tens and hundreds of millions of them out there. I don't think they're all on the fringes. And that said, too, like, when uh, I'm reluctant to post things about one Christian who does something bad in the name of their faith, unless I can say, you know, look at where they're getting their source material from, because that's an issue everyone needs to talk about. Um, I'm certainly not going to say, look at what... uh, One person did, therefore, all religious people must be horrible. I see that going on with Islam right now. Look at what these ISIS terrorists did, therefore, all Muslims are bad. No, no, that's not the case at all. But we do, I think it's fair to point out that those terrorists are drawing their inspiration from the same holy book used by other people. And isn't there a problem with that holy book? Can't we at least acknowledge? that the Quran says some horrible things and that the Bible says some horrible things because some people are so reluctant to admit uh, what the Hadith say or the Quran says or the Bible says. And sometimes you need to point to the people on the fringe to say, look, they're getting it from that same book. Okay. Maloon asks, do you always read the comments? I'm curious since you so rarely post a comment yourself, unlike some of the other writers on my site. Uh, On my website, the answer is no. I don't always read the comments on my website. There are literally thousands of comments a day on the website, on Facebook. So I can't, I, I physically like can't read them. Otherwise I would never be able to have time to write anything. So I focus on the writing. I feel like I get my say in there. And then every like month or so I might go through and just see what the top comments are on every post. Um, I'm fortunate that every now and then, one of my readers will say, hey, I don't know if you saw this, but someone said this horrible thing in this comment thread. Maybe they were using racial slurs or calling someone a sexist name. Uh, when they send me that, I will absolutely get rid of it. But otherwise, I really don't read it. It's kind of a free-for-all, and I hope you all moderate yourselves. Um, the other option is just to not have comments. But right now, I really I like the fact that it's there because I think people get uh, some value from seeing what the top comments are. What are your standards uh, this is also from Maloon. What are your standards for vetting guest posters? Yeah, I have a lot of guest posts on my website written by people. There's no standard other than I have to find it interesting and timely, and it has to be well-written. Because I will. I do pay uh, people who write the guest posts and stuff, but I'm looking for something that I would think is really interesting. That's kind of it. Uh, people will send me articles, and I'll say, you know what, this, uh, this is boring for me. Or I don't think it's right for my site, and you may want to try somewhere else. Um, But I don't care if you have a PhD or you're a kid in high school. It doesn't matter. If you're writing something that I think is new and interesting, and it's a voice that I don't hear anywhere else, I want to publish it. Uh, So reach out to me. Uh, Maloon also asks, uh, do you think religion will ever disappear completely? No. It'll be around. Hopefully the worst aspects of it will kind of dissipate, but I don't think it's going to go away. Uh, so I, th- that's, it's silly for anyone to say religion's going to go away. Um, all right, jumping down. Uh, last question. Trinity 91 asks, how do you and your wife plan on handling the inevitable problems that arise from religious people around you with regard to your future child, who is now no longer a future child. It's a current child. Um, so we're lucky that we're, neither of us are super religious I mean, we're not religious. I'm obviously an atheist. Uh, my wife's just not religious, but even our families aren't you know, they're not like the, the type that are going to push religion on the kid. That said, right now, I like, I got a picture from like my parents saying, Hey, you know, they were with my uh, kid for a little while and they sent me a picture of her clasping her hands in prayer. Like, look, she's praying. It's like, you know what? I'm not even going to fuss about it because if you want to babysit my kid so I can get some rest, you could do whatever the hell you want right now. Uh, that said, You know, if there comes a time in the future where someone is indoctrinating them, uh, dare I say, teaching them about hell, telling them they have to accept Jesus, then we step in. Uh, Then I hope we would be able to step in and and figure out a solution to that. But at least in terms of our families, I'm not worried about anything happening. Um, And hopefully when the time comes, I also don't want to indoctrinate this kid into atheism. Uh, Hopefully we can just keep playing devil's advocate and let them figure this stuff out for themselves And I don't know, I say this now, maybe I'll change my mind in the future, but I don't really care what the kid ends up becoming. If the kid's not an atheist, I, I, there are worse things, you know, a kid could be, uh, just depends on where it goes from there. So, okay. I will leave it at that. I'm going to shut this off. Uh, let me know either way, if uh, you want me to ever talk again, or you'd rather just do guests all the time. Uh, this was one of those weeks we didn't have a guest. So that's why I'm doing this. But uh, yeah, let me know if this is good or not. And thank you again for listening. I really appreciate everything you do. Hey, if you like the work you hear, I'm going to make the plug anyway. Go to patreon.com slash he man uh, And that's a great way to support the sort of work we're doing here. And hopefully next week, we'll be back with another guest. So thank you for listening.